Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 68, John 2 in A Dance with Dragons, featuring Hannah from Game of Owns. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You might know me from the internet as Lies and Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr, and liesandarborgold.com. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. You might know me as Glass Table Girl on Reddit or the Mason Monthly Podcast. Maybe you know me as Arithmetric over on Twitter. Maybe you don't. It's fine. But you know who you probably do know? Our very special guest today. Yes, she is a special, special woman. I actually spent Eliana Don't Get Jealous challenge. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess she said that to me tonight. I spent the season eight finale holding her hand. Uh, experiencing the good queen Sansa moment with her. Sorry, Aliana. God. Um, she's like staring at me. So uh, you probably know her from something a little more articulate than what I just said, though, which is Game of Owns, an excellent podcast who has, of course, done it, done it all, been there, done <laughs> <Yes>. that. <laughs> um, thanks. I don't know when I'm supposed to like jump in. You can just like keep saying nice things about me, but I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. We're really excited. The second Eliana mentioned you coming on for this chapter, I was like, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, Someone I'm really who... excited. It's been a while in the making because we talked about this mid-season yeah. or something. Yeah. And I was like, it's the middle of the season. Let's do it in like nine years. And now here we are. So, yeah. yeah. You know, I was looking forward at our calendar and... We're ending John probably around Christmas time. Wow. Uh, yeah, right? Our, like, the good lord's birth. As yeah. The good lord slash king dies. No, yeah, no, no, I really love the parallel. <laughs> but, yeah, John is portrayed as a messianic figure a bit, a bit, yeah. just a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. John dying Christmas. I mean, I just thought that was a perfect, so perfect poetic. amount. So take with that, Girls Gone Canon fans, what you will. About where we will be around Christmas time and when John is over and what that means for uh, chapters and POVs, but we have something else happening after that. We have a new POV. We will be bringing that up closer to those on Patreon. Uh, depending on your tier, you might have already seen that. Spoiler. So keep it to yourselves. Hush, hush. Hannah, we're so excited you finally joined. I, I am really, truly glad that yeah. I, I didn't, I couldn't experience it with Eliana that weekend. We had different plans, but it was nice to have you there as another girlfriend to hold your hand during some really cool moments or get sad together. It was a cool experience. It was really magical. And especially because I I mean, I love Sansa so much. You love Sansa so much. <laughs> we prayed wow. to a Sansa votive candle. We did. Oh my God, I forgot we you did. did that. It was really something else. Amazing. So I feel like we shared a lot that weekend, yeah. which was great. It was special. It was a special night. It was. And Hannah's uh, reactions to the finale were much more pure than mine were because mine were influenced by poisons that were at the party. And by poisons, I mean there was the strangler. I had some strangler. Wow. What else was there? Some Luke. sweet... Sweet sleep? There was sweet sleep. Robert Aaron's sweet sleep. And there was a third. A third head of the poison dragon. Mm -hmm. It was... Uh, it'll come to me probably halfway through the podcast. I took a but, picture. I could probably find it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, we, the, the finale... Game of Thrones finale, Hannah and I spent it. It was a game of owns and manimals and drinking got BK hosted party in New York that I got to attend. Yeah, Eliana, if you would have come, you would have known. Just kidding. I know. I'm, I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> it was a blast, though. It was all Game of Thrones themed. 
It was fun. So it was good. So we're bonded. I feel like we didn't really get to do that before that. So now I feel like all three of us are on the level that John 2 will really be an effective chapter. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what I can contribute. <laughs> I feel like you have lots to contribute. You have lots to no. Contribute. You're an expert on this chapter. Yeah. You've done it before. Yeah. I truly have. <laughs> Haven't we all, though? Uh, I don't know. Get back on that horse, girl. <laughs> The, the Night's Watchman horse. Yes, the Night's Watchman horse. But hey, we do have an email or tweet of note to talk about. And it's not from horse. It's actually from our friend Nick. And Nick sent us an email asking if we've read A Song of Ice and Fire or Game of Thrones fan fiction. Asking what our favorites are. And also asking, uh, in honor of Thursday Night Football, what teams we support. Hmm. Oh, Hannah actually has an answer for this. <laughs> I know. Fuck. <laughs> Hannah, lead us off. I mean, for the fan fiction part, I quit fan fiction cold turkey. <laughs> oh my god. That is not the answer I was expecting you to get. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Um, I quit fan fiction when I was like during Harry Potter, so I don't read fan fiction anymore. So that's my answer for that. I'm sorry. That's fine. I like the idea of it, though, so... Me too. Go off. I support it. Um, But what about Thursday Night Football? What teams do you support, Hannah? Oh, I just love college football. So that's not the NFL, so I guess they don't really play on Thursdays, but I just love college football, so... I wouldn't have known the difference if you hadn't... Yeah, someone is playing football on a Thursday somewhere, so... Told me the distinction. (laughs) I mean, the odds are up there, is what I'm saying. It's four o'clock somewhere. (laughs) Someone is throwing a football on a Thursday night. Somewhere on a Thursday. Yeah, Yeah. it's true. So I'm here for all of it. I just, I love college football, so... Mm. I'm a big BYU, I'm a big BYU Cougars fan. I went to BYU, so my alma mater, love everything about all their sports Mm. teams, Mm. and that's it. Go Cougars. I'm Eliana. I made you watch a BYU basketball game oh, one time. Right. I forgot. That's true. You did. <laughs> I guess I'm a then a BYU f- Cougars fan. Fan also, by proxy. That's a different like sport, but it's still the same. I guess team, right? In a way, it's just like the same. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way. Yeah, I guess so. Or not? You're a fan. I no, I would yeah, say I'm yeah. A- no, you guys yeah. lost me. That's that's too deep. You can go one watch a basketball. BYU sports game with me. One is football. I like basketball. One you use your hands, the other you use your feet. Yeah. Well, actually, you still use no. your hands in football. <laughs> I forgot. American football, you use your hands, so never mind. Wow. And when you use your hands, and the other you also use your hands, but you can hit people, kind of, with your shoulders. Eliana, no, sweetie. Sweetie. Eliana. <laughs> sports works right i i can't wait to save this this is gonna be a eliana explains sports soundbite and it's gonna be saved on my desktop (laughs) your ringtone every time eliana calls (laughs) so eliana i take it you don't have a favorite thursday night football team um no just the cougars (laughs) basketball team yeah, I'm re- just really into the BYU Cougars um, basketball team of specifically. Okay, good, good. <laughs> That's all I have. What about fanfics? What do you have for fanfics? 
I don't usually like have, I think, I, I, I don't read that many fanfics that I, again, support the idea of it. I'm going to plug our good friends. Uh, they identify as the Boltons, but you might know them as like Tender Vittles or fuck, Leech Lord the Bolton. Or Leech Lord Bolton over on Twitter. They have, they're really into the fanfic scene. They in particular have a, a specific genre in which they like to, I think, write Bolton fanfic, which is really interesting. Um, there's a lot of creativity out there. I in particular, so I, I, I've felt the fanfic itch to read a few times in my life. One of them was around, I think, Rio and Rika in mm. Digimon Tamers. Rika is my is shit. <laughs> Dude, she's the best. I want to cosplay her. I don't care who knows oh. it. Should I be read yep. Oh my god. <laughs> Why is this every episode also question mark? <laughs> The other time was, and I'm going to argue, it was a wholesome feeling. Um, I uh, went and read some Pip and Gren fanfic, and that's my taste. No, good very for you. Wholesome. So pure. I think it kind of, they were all very pure. Yeah. I think. Yeah. They have a pure relationship. I, uh, I've only read one fanfic ever, and then I promptly quit fanfiction after reading the fanfic that I read. Mm. Um, that fanfic mm. is A Song of Ice and Fire, How Fragile is the Heart? Or it's a, be- oh no, sorry. Beyond the Ice and Fire, How Fragile is the Heart? And it is about, drum roll, uh, it's about Sansan. And <laughs> I don't- <laughs> What a surprise. I don't want to feel your wow. shame. I feel a lot of shame from YouTube, maybe from like a thousand other people too, but like YouTube's is worse. Uh, it was basically Sansa goes with Sandor at the Blackwater and they go to across the narrow mm. sea. They go to Tyrosh and eventually like she almost gets married to a magister in Tyrosh or some crap. And then huh. like he has to fight for her honor and then he proposes to her at one point and he has this little monologue where he's like, I want to give you birds and pupplings and take back your uh, ancestral home. And it's pretty romantic and beautiful. But then I got to a page or a chapter of the fanfic where it was an update and this update was from like July 23rd, 2014 or some crap. It was like, we're going to update soon. You guys. And then they never updated. Classic. <gasps> Classic. I got ghosted. That happened. Nothing has ever happened. Wait, I checked so it up sometime. You mean you got winds of winter. <laughs> I got winds of winter. <laughs> <sighs> they, they wrote Sandor really oh, well. They, they did. So, I, I'm, That's good. Yeah, they they wrote it really well. They I, I liked it. It wasn't like gross or anything. It was actually really nice and like pretty pure. That's Even nice. the proposal was real pure. I was just like, good for you guys. Be happy, you know, away from all the carnage. Deal with mini dramas, telenovelas, you know. I'm only here for I guess like pure fanfics if I'm actually doing the fanfic thing. But otherwise, I'm here for. I haven't finished reading it. I only just started it. Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, mm. if we're talking about Harry Potter mm-hmm. fanfics, which is not Thrones. Uh, and also My oh. Immortal. So many. Those are like those some are of the bangers, classics. I hear. I know. Those are classics. We should do, we should do a My Immortal uh, reread. I've never oh read it. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh. That would be. I. You're in for it. <laughs> uh, I guess if I had to choose a team, uh, my dad likes the Lions, so he should be happy, I guess. If he's mm-hmm. happy, I'm happy. They, like, they beat my city's team. A few weeks ago when he was here visiting so uh, he was happy then his friend was here that lives in the city and was like this sucks and he's like haha you suck and i'm like good for you i'm glad you're happy dad because none of this means anything so 
Um, that's kind of how I feel about it. So I guess the lions, you know, because they, they don't win. Aww, Even in Game of sad. Thrones, they won't win. Love a good <laughs> underdog. Like Sandor. Yeah. <sighs> well, I don't know. I was going to ask if you should have just supported George R. R. Martin's team. Oh, but, no. Uh, turns out I don't actually know anything about those tubes. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they used their hands. Oh, my God. Well, without further ado, Anna, are you ready for your first lightning round? Are you? Have you been getting like hyped up? How are you feeling? Is this? I'm feeling great. I've been rereading this sentence over and over again. So <laughs> there's not. I, I'm, I'm. I'm. Disclaimer. I ruined it already because I was like, "There's not much funny shit in here, you guys." Usually, I make it funny. Usually, it's a thing. This is a funny moment for Eliana, but I, I wasn't feeling it. I felt like this is a little serious. It's fine. Feel however yeah. you want. Totally read it totally however you want you guys and i'll do better next time you're on hannah i will okay is it my time to shine it is bran one bran cold hands mira jojen hodor and summer all arrive at the three-eyed raven's lair well you did so good she's been practicing it taking a little bow Tyrion too. Illyrio and Tyrion make way for the Roin. Thoughts of their past loves plaguing them throughout the journey. Should have been Grey plaguing them? That's actually why I, I use plaguing. So there is a method to my art yeah. here. The Merchant's Man. Quentin Martell attempts to book passage on a ship in Volantis, disguised as a wine merchant, ready to carry out his father's great plan for fire and blood. And so that brings us to the John 2 overview. My time to shine again. Yes. <laughs> if you're feeling like you've read this chapter before, you have. This chapter is the same chapter as Sam won in A Feast for Crows, but from John's point of view. John must choose to send his friends away from the watch in order to protect them and also chooses to send Jano Slint away from life. <laughs> <laughs> Which is extremely hilarious. <laughs> but before all that happens, John 2, John reads the letter. His letter over and over again, thinking I, that he cannot sign it. I have to sign it. They chose me to be the Lord Commander. The wall is mine, and the watch as well. The Night's Watch takes no part. I feel like that was a strong open. What do you think, Aliana? Do you? I'm so excited. <laughs> You're so Thank you. good. Oh, it never gets old. Oh, I, we only have until Christmas. Is that truly a present, or is it like a curse? You're going to take this away. John John died for your sins at Christmas, I know, right? is what I'm saying. I mean, saying. Like, maybe it's a gift for you. You don't have to do this fucking thing anymore. Merry <laughs> <laughs> fucking Christmas, Chloe. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I do really like that the Daenerys parallels are so prominent in this chapter. The It's just mind-blowing, especially read them in tandem. That's what I call the ice and fire read, I guess. But like, read those in tandem sometime, not just John. And those two together in dance is like just such an interesting display of power and rulership and leadership and like choosing the right choice, even in the midst of like, is this a right choice if it hurts the people I love? I agree with all the things that you're saying. And I think what's interesting, right, is like, I feel like my, okay, whatever. What's interesting is like, as we see throughout this chapter, John... It's like, yeah, it's we're gonna send all these people away. All the people who fucking supported me the entire time at the ball. It's like, Sam's gone, Eamon's gone, time to ball out! That's, that's just John. Right, like, no one likes Stannis, and that's literally all you have left. Yeah. And he's right. like, whatever, all the people kept me grounded. <laughs> I'm gonna wild 
go wild, do crazy shit. Good. That's what I think is kind of interesting about opening the chapter in this way, though, is because I feel like this is one thing that he kind of does right in this chapter. I feel like he, I mean, you could argue that he does a couple other things right, depending on whatever your opinion. But I feel like you get a wide spectrum of John's leadership abilities. And he, all of John and all of this whole book and all of his whole life is just like about him growing into himself as like a leader. And we are introduced to this whole like kill the boy theme and I just feel like opening up the chapter in something that seems like he's actually making the right call and actually using his abilities to do the quote unquote right thing is interesting as he then potentially spirals into, like you're saying, setting all of his whole squad away, yeah. like making all these different decisions that may not help him down the road. He's not exactly blending into the political climate and fatigue of the Night's Watch. Um, right. And Change is good, absolutely, and they need a lot of reform and change, but once more, I am brought to reference Parks and Rec oh in that <laughs> the merger cannot just happen like yes. this, this fast. And uh, even in this chapter, we're going to read a lot about John sending, you know, 10 men from Stannis' camp, 10 men from the Wall, 10 men from Eastwatch to go to this place and uprooting these people that have these lives and they've already been forced into these miserable-ass lives, right? Like, whether or not they deserve to be there. We look at Sam, who was just like, I just want to read books, dad. I don't want to shoot people. And his Same. dad's like, going to chain you up, like in manacles. Uh, it, it, you think of some of these people, and what does one person's life mean to deserve to be there, living this solitude life at an, an ice room, you know? Um, it's an interesting just thought on human life and what, what the book is telling us on that. Like, they just get uprooted to move around like ants, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like they had, this is the life they finally formed of doing this stupid, monotonous thing with these people that are, some are cool, some are garbage all day long until they die. And I think there's a matter of that that goes with like, John says, this is your duty now. And for some of them, they didn't fucking choose this life. And it's like, that's great yeah. that you decided right. this was your duty, John. Awesome. Congrats. Yeah. Some people were forced into this penal colony. Yeah. Right. Or like aren't going to buy into this whole brotherhood thing or don't feel that same sort of loyalty or like familial bond that I think you're supposed to kind of buy into. Some people aren't searching for that family still. Some people already know that family's garbage. I mean, you think of some of these guys that uh, were getting beat by their parents constantly and, you know, crazy shit that like they just ended up on the streets and they ended up rounded up and taken to the watch just because they didn't have money and they stole some bread. You know, not to Javert it, but I don't know. Some of it is just really messed up and it makes you think about society, obviously, too much. And you're like, damn. We're going to think about society more in a bit. But first, Dolores Ed is going to bring Gilly to John's chamber. And when Gilly gets there, she kneels immediately. When uh, John's together with Gilly, he tells her, you don't need to, like, kneel like that. It's just only for kings with ear horns. (laughs) (laughs) Ironically. John, there's so many moments where it's like narrator voice in this chapter yeah. where John's like, John didn't think this. And it's like, John did think this. And <laughs> it's a bit much. <laughs> Gilly is updating him on the kid's status and she's kind of talking quickly and she's talking about, you know, the titty sucking. And uh, John's all amped up. He's like in his head. And he's like, time to give my orders. And he says he has something to tell her. And he thinks in his head at first, ask her. But he reminds himself, this is a tell her environment now. That he is Lord commanding the shit out of the wall. 
uh, Gilly asks if this is about Mance, and she starts to kind of babble about how Val begged to trade her hand in marriage for Mance's life. Which, like, yikes. It's not worth that, Val. Just putting that out there. It is not worth that. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> he can get himself out of it. Come on now. He bail the bard. Abel the trickster. He can bail himself out. Oh my fucking god. <laughs> Proud of me. I know. Uh, John says that they're here to talk about Mance's child, not Mance. And Gilly begs John to save him. And John says, I can't. Only you can. Well, you can prevent forest fires. And it's kind of messed up. It yeah. is because he's suddenly just offloading it onto her. But Gilly, to her credit, many things are to her credit in this chapter, but she shows how smart she is here. And we've seen it throughout a lot of the books, but at first she quickly responds with no. John says to her credit, she doesn't, you know, attack him or anything. She responds very poised right and shows that strength but she says no immediately and please no because she knows what john is getting at in terms of this switch at first but she tries to play it off at in the way that she would have this scenario right by saying oh yeah i'll take both the boys and i'll save them and john's like that's not you know that's not what we're talking about because the king's men would ride after mm -hmm. you immediately and gilly also knows this john says you're gonna take dallas son and you're gonna leave your own and we're going to read the whole passage here because it's it's pretty good. It, it's like a really solid passage. There's a couple really great passages. A lot happens in this chapter. But I do want to comment. Uh, I'm doing a lot of framework in my mind of this chapter as Ned and John. And we're going to get into it later mm -hmm. on. And in this moment, it does make me think a lot about Ashara as that sacrificial social lamb of, you know, she was probably the mother of John, of uh, the bastard that Ned had. You know, that that re that purple herring of Ashara Dane. And I wonder if they were just thoughts of the babies that were being born in the rebellion and saving them and keeping them safe. And, you know, the secret of the Tower of Joy and Ashara Dane and, you know, the whole stillborn child and committing suicide cover up. Uh, it's crazy to think about that. It's the same echoes that we're seeing right here. Yeah, for sure. The same kind of problems permeate through no matter what. Mm -hmm time you're in or like from the wall are. to dorn yep yeah. from the windows i to was the thinking wall, the same thing oh my fucking god <laughs> <sighs> anna are you ready for your time to shine again so ready you get to be gilly and i get to be really mean to you i just want you to know it's not I'm your fault my whole life for this yeah it's not your fault <laughs> if i comfort her she may think that tears can move me she has to realize i will not yield You'll take one boy, and that one Dallas. A mother can't leave her son, or else she's cursed forever. Not a son. We saved him, Sam and me. Please. Please, my lord, we saved him from the cold. Men say that freezing to death is almost peaceful. Fire, though. Do you see the candle, Gilly? She looked at the flame. Yes. Touch it. Put your hand over the flame. Her big brown eyes grew bigger still. She did not move. Do it. Kill the boy. No. Trembling, the girl reached out her hand, held it well above the flickering candle flame. Don't let it kiss you. Gilly lowered her hand. An inch. Another. When the flame licked her flesh, she snatched her hand back and began to sob. Fire is a cruel way to die. Dalla died to give this child life. But you've nourished him, cherished him. You saved your own boy from the ice. Now save hers from the fire. 
They'll burn my babe then, the red woman. If she can't have Dallas, she'll burn mine. It's a sin. Dude, this is like the biggest fucking sacrifice John is asking. Yeah. Uh, also, throwing it out there, I don't know, John being like, yeah, put your hand in the fire. Let it kiss you. It's some Targaryen ass shit. All right, John. Yeah. <laughs> It really is. It's kind of excessive. John is, yeah. it's crazy because two chapters ago, we were just saying how all of a sudden Stannis like snapped and turned mm. when he was so like, I'm chivalrous. I'm here to save things. And then he started not getting what he wanted. And he was just like a total dick bag that episode being like, yeah, fuck Gilly and fuck those kids and fuck her titties. Like he was just like a total asshole. And now John's like, all right, well, how about you put your hand in the fire, Gilly? Yeah. Do you think he knows what he's doing here, though? He does. He totally does. And it's awful. Yeah. He has to, but... It's just funny because I feel like we've already seen so far in this chapter, in the beginning when when he's like, don't bow to me, I'm not a king. But then five seconds later, he is acting so... Not kingly necessarily, but just so forceful. And that I feel like you kind of see that in his own mind, flipping back and forth between stuff that he thinks he should be doing and stuff that he wants to be doing you know what I mean and so this is one of those instances where it's like he feels like he has to whether it's he feels like he has to force her to put her hand over the fire to like get his point across or he feels like he has to send the children away this way John uses like well you know I'm a cop so you know I have to go uh you know my heart is like actually good but it's first off it is some fuckboy behavior I just want to put that out there like okay John um but it's like, do you have to go, John? Like, why are you doing this? And why is this your duty? I think it's Ned's memory, obviously, that propels him so much. But especially here, you know that he's overtly projecting this because it's it's like Arya throwing the rocks at Nymeria, mm. right? That's what he's mm-hmm. doing verbally. He's throwing rocks at Nymeria. Yeah. yeah. Such like a chosen one complex. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's interesting that you pointed out the whole thing of he's like, no, don't kneel to me. I'm not a king. Because a few chapters before in Storm, he's all like, don't call me my lord. I'm not a lord. But now he's lord commander and he's stopped correcting people on that. So mm. is this like the next step, Ooh. right? Now he's like ordering people around oh. and then in, in the next book or book after he's gonna not, he's gonna stop correcting people and kneeling to him or he'll have to because... That's or he'll expected. grind his teeth and bear it. Yeah, that's what's expected of a king, right? For people to kneel to them. John says that Gilly's son, though, has no king's blood, and Stannis wants free folk to fight for him, and allegedly he wouldn't burn innocent blood without good cause. Is having king's blood good cause? Huh. Are you sure? Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. Interesting you say that. John assures Gilly, your son's going to be fine. He's going to be under my protection. He's going to grow up and he's going to learn to ride and hunt and read and write. And when he's old enough, he can like go and find you if he wants to. I'm going to go show him, you know, his paternity test. I'm sorry, maternity test. I don't think he wants to know his paternity test. So yeah, let's just keep that one quiet. Everyone's got one parent they have to hide from their kid, right? Who did some shit. Uh, <laughs> speaking of this is this is everything John wished and wanted and projected his childhood to be right this is the life Ned wished that he could have given John in full the choice the choosing it's the one thing John never had John never had that choice to go off and seek out the family he didn't get to have 
And it makes me think of a bunch of quotes from a Game of Thrones, like in John 5, when he thinks that his mom didn't have a place for him. And that he wondered who she had been, what she had looked like, why his father had left her. Because she was a whore or an adulteress, a fool, something dark and dishonorable, or else why was Lord Eddard too ashamed to speak of her? Um, there's even the line in A Game of Thrones 7 when he thinks, you know, where was the honor in that? And your mother, what of her? He will not even speak her name. And it all boils back to that framing of Ned in this chapter. You think of Eddard 9 in A Game of Thrones when he's speaking with Bara, who had one of Robert's bastards. And he thinks she had smiled then, a smile so tremulous and sweet that it cut the heart out of him. Riding through the rainy night, Ned saw Jon Snow's face in front of him, so like a younger version of his own. If the gods frowned so on bastards, he thought dully, why did they fill men with such lusts? (sighs) It's everything that Jon and Ned both had wanted for Jon to have. But Jon chose duty in protecting the realm because he didn't know or have a place. Let them grow up close as brothers with only love between them. And let my lady wife. Do you actually have this fucking memorized? To forgive. Of course I fucking do. Do you know how sad I am? Do you not have that memorized? Do you not not know how sad that is? That's like the saddest vision. Oh my god. Yeah, I, I. It's all of what you said of like the hopes that Ned had, right? He tried to raise John as his own son, knowing all of the things. And I think that all of these hopes that you're saying is part of what's so cruel about the scene, right? Regarding those hopes, because I think in this chapter, we begin to see Kill the Boy really start to gain a lot of traction in John's life. And I mean, first of all, that obviously means something. What could it mean regarding the babies (laughs) and the fire? The boy. Anyway. Second, there's John thinking that in what he's doing, he's better than the system that raised him. And the irony is that, like, in prioritizing the safety of Mance's child, who, sure, he's not really a king. John has made this whole point very clear to everyone, but no one seems to want to believe him. And he's still playing into the class dynamics and the title dynamics of the system that he hated and that like very much oppressed him and he ends up very much trapped in it right he thinks he's above it and he's like yeah i can do it i can protect gilly's son but he's not going to be able to and in doing so ends up perpetuating the cruelty of like all the society that prioritizes some people based on luck and birth versus like that whole egalitarianism because i mean again kill the boy what does it mean it's so Ned in that right. this is the only way he can secure safety for the people he loves. And to him, it's like, if he can't protect the people he loves, if he can't do that one thing, that one stupid thing in this shitty, crummy life that he's stuck in, then what's the point of being in this life, right? What's the point of having that power if you can't protect your people with it, even your close loved ones? Um, it's something we see Blood Raven, you know, driven mad about mm-hmm. in some of his life. Uh, it's so sad. I'm so sad all the time because this is also, this is not what Ned wanted for John. This is not what Liana wanted for John. He was a precocious, sweet baby boy that had the whole world at his fingers. He was going to be, you know, an heir to the throne. He could have been so good for the realm. He was Aegon the unlikely in that way. You know, I mean, it's that redux of he could have been, 
But this is what's crushing him, that the heavy weight that sits on him even now. The doom is about this boy. Yeah. And it's funny because it's so self. Yeah. He brings it on himself. Like, he could very easily, I guess maybe not easily, but he could take a different path. But he just kind of, like, gets into this spiral of feeling bad for himself that he can't Mm -hmm. see past his nose on what he has to do for his duty. He gets lucky because he gets a chance to come back, right? That we know of. He's likely going to come back. Not everyone gets that chance to come back. Yeah. And this passage is like, this whole entire chapter is making it glaringly obvious that it's uh, first the father, then the son. So they both die as kings. Right? Because Mance is likely going to go out in a blaze of glory in Winterfell for hashtag Arya. But it's not even going to be his son. It'll be an innocent boy who died for what? Right. And he's going to be like, for me? He's going to be like, yeah, I guess. But then you think it really isn't about king's blood. It's just about blood sacrifice, likely. So, yeah, I mean, they're just going to be propelled to keep going. Mel will be like, I did it. But then everything goes bad with Stannis. And she's like, oh, no, I didn't do it after all. (laughs) I made a huge mistake. Mel looks into the camera. (laughs) I did it for one second. (laughs) So much remake. Game of Thrones like that. I would love it if I it know. was The Office. I love those little... Gilly is weeping because if John takes her son, she thinks he's going to make a crow of him with everything that he's saying. So all of us just sat here and like, we're like, yay, that's so great because that's what Ned wanted for John and that's what John, you know, would want for this kid. But uh, Gilly's like, you're going to erase his whole culture and make a crow of him. I won't do it. And he says, you will, or both children will die, Gilly. Like, that's what's going to happen. You know it. No. Eliana, you're the raven also. Oh, right. Sorry. Die! Shrieked Mormon's raven. Die! 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 You're just so good at it. Thank you. (laughs) You know, like, the real hero of these John episodes has been your raven. I just really, you know, want to commit to the burb scenes. Commit to the bit. I get it. Um, I'm proud of you. I was born yeah, for this role. It is uh, just like faded. Like, Gilly, you know this is what happens if you if you don't do it. Like, this is the only route. I, he's uh, Dr. Strange to everything. But no, it's not. But he's saying to her. Gilly and her son could be fine. I mean, like, it's bad that Mance's baby is yeah. at risk and will die. But like. Why is that baby worth more than the other baby? Who cares? It, yeah. Yeah. Gilly's yeah. son could just be fine. She keeps her head down. It's bullshit that people discount the kid just because it's part Craster's kid. I agree. I And that's something that I really dislike about Stannis. It's like, that kid never chose to be born to Craster yeah. and Gilly. Gilly never chose that life. Marcella, we'll Joff, and yeah. Tommen didn't choose to be born. I mean. Yeah. Yes, the actions they take after their birth, which just goes back to the primary debate in the first book, right? Of what do we kill first, the dragon or the egg? You know, Danny or, you know, her kid, like, she's prego. What do we do? And it's like, she didn't choose to be born of the line that did some crazy bullshit. She was. And yes, that might frame some of the way you look at her, but give her a chance, see what happens. And it's the same thing. Joff, Marcella, Tommen uh craster's grandchild here we don't know what this child's gonna do and to be fair 
now, scientifically speaking, yeah, his blood is basically coffee creamer at this point, but it's like 75% craster, right? Oh, absolutely. So, like, now that I say that scientifically, though, like, yeah, that's fucked. Like, this kid might not even live. But John doesn't get to make that choice for him. It's ultimately the thing. It's not his choice. It's not. And he's making it. Yeah. And he's saying, I get to decide it. He's making it because he feels like he has to, which is even worse. Yeah. You know? To me, it's like, okay, he feels like this weird duty to do it, not because he necessarily believes in it, but because he's like, wow, I can't believe I have to make all these hard decisions. Which I feel like makes it worse. He's not accepting any constructive criticism or guidance from his friends, too. You know what I mean? He's just like, all right, you report to me this information now, Sam. This information now, you know, Ed. Like, I don't get to have friends anymore because I'm the boss. And it's like, you work best by collaboration. I don't know. Honestly, maybe John didn't try hard enough because, you know what? He's like, they're going to notice if both the kids are gone. But, like, let me throw this out there. The heist has been pulled off before with only one kid. All right? Davos got away with it. Yeah. It's doable. John maybe didn't try hard enough. You know Stannis doesn't know what they look like. He doesn't. And also, like, we know this. John doesn't know this. That... Melisandre didn't see that Edric Storm had disappeared. And, I mean, you just know that Stannis, like, the only time he's been in proximity to look at either of the children, he was probably just like, sniff, sniff, this child smells poor. Yeah, or he's like, this is a baby. Yeah. I do not want the baby, and, like, walk (laughs) away. I am bemused at this baby. Yeah, Yeah. he doesn't give a shit, so... It, it could th- He could have gotten creative, but not for the sake of our story. Yeah, instead he just gives Gilly leave and tells her to run back to her quarters. And in- Sam arrives moments later, and the raven tries to eat Sam's palm for some corn. And John's like, I'm sorry. Uh, that clearly did work. <laughs> Wear so some funny. thicker gloves. Okay, whatever, John. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> and John shows Sam a scroll that came from King Tommen Baratheon. At Winterfell. Tommen fought my brother Bran with wooden swords, John said, remembering. He wore so much padding, he looked like a stuffed goose. Bran knocked him to the ground. He went to the window and threw the shutters open. The air outside was cold and bracing, though the sky was a dull gray. Yet Bran's dead and pudgy, pink-faced Tommen is sitting on the Iron Throne with a crown nestled amongst his golden curls. Hmm. Is this foreshadowing? Is this it? Kinda. In multiple ways. You know, not to turn this back into a uh, King Bran is actually good podcast. Oh my god. <laughs> which I do once a week in these chapters. But it's not my fault he wrote it, so like, how is this my fault that George is writing this? I don't know. I don't know. That sounds silly to me. But Bran the Boy King versus Tom and the Boy King is so interesting. You could even look at some of the rulers like Blood Raven versus the High Sparrow, you know, as far as who has political power or who has magical-ish power, which I wouldn't say High Sparrow does, but power comes from masses of people that follow you, so... Friendship is magic. Yeah. Uh, the Stark in Winterfell versus King Tommen, the first of his name, and later Bran, the first of his name, of Westeros, maybe. There's that line about Aegon in A Dance with Dragons in the epilogue. Tommen has been taught that kingship is his right. Aegon knows kingship is his duty, that a king must put his people first and live and rule for them. I don't know. I don't know anyone that could do that, you know, or that's been raised to be good and put his people first. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, especially that just that line, Bran's dead and Tommen sits the throne. So, you know, that that could never happen. But winter is coming. 
I've heard, and the wolves will come again, I've also heard. So I just think it was an interesting little line to put us in that mortal peril of, no, my favorite family's dead, except they're all going to come back and everything's going to be great forever. And there will be a time for wolves. Yeah. Air horns go off. I don't know if Mance's kid survives or not, but you know what is sad? Speaking of people masquerading as kings and being children born of incest. Did we think about Tommen here just now and how he's obviously doomed because of the Maggie the Frog prophecy and then again about Gilly's kid? I don't know. Yeah, I'm sad. It and all comes together. There's again. some ideas later we're going to chat about. Don't you worry. Oh, you I'm worry. not. Um, <laughs> so then Sam wants to say something and then he holds back, noting that John hasn't signed the letter and John says, well, not a J-Hor's letters work, so why the fuck would mine... I mean, the Lannisters probably think that the wall's been helping Stannis the whole time because, like, all that happened last time we asked for help was we got Jano Slint. Mm. Please clap. Sam asks. Don't encourage her. <laughs> I'm glad that was sure that was gonna happen. And thank you, Hannah. Thanks. Thank I come you through. For me. <laughs> um, Sam says, I mean, they might still help because it's about the wall and not the rebellion. And John's like, I don't know. I don't think Tywin gives a fuck. And he's dead, so he definitely doesn't. No, he can't come to the phone right now. Why? Because he's dead. He's dead. (laughs) I love this dialogue from John. It's death and destruction I want to bring down upon House Lannister, not scorn, John read from the letter. The Night's Watch takes no part in the wars of the Seven Kingdoms. Our oaths are sworn to the realm, and the realm now stands in dire peril. Stannis Baratheon aids us against our foes from beyond the wall, but we are not his men. I love that this chapter is framed as like, John is being righteous and just, but is he? The first sentence of the whole thing, I want to bring down death and destruction on House Lannister. I mean, yes, but you also in the same exact paragraph are saying, I'm sworn to the realm, I have no opinions. Yeah, but that's the thing about John is that he's so extremely biased, yes. and I feel like he can't even see past his own bias. It's like he just is so deeply rooted in his Stark upbringing that I feel like it's impossible for him There's to no way. really take the yeah. yeah. There's no way for him to take like the neutral Night's Watch side because he just like he doesn't I mean, have he it in him. To that, that's his only identity. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Like. So he doesn't even yeah. practice what he preaches. And as you said, like, he totally thinks he does, though. John needs a therapist that he can vent, like, how he wants to kill House Lannister, too, and not not another <laughs> member of the Night's Watch. He's like, yeah, this is what we're doing. Uh, and then after he reads this aloud, John and Sam go back and forth as to, like, so are we going to send it? Because be fine. it kind of sounds like they're sucking Stannis' uh, light bringer here a little bit. It's like, you shouldn't mention Stannis at all. Yeah, that's true. Also, it would be a hashtag almost family reunion. Almost. If House Lannister slash Nae Baratheon showed up at the wall from King's Landing to help, and then Stannis was just there, and the Lannisters showed up and they were there. Oh yes, they're like, yeah, I get it now. Yeah, like if they all just showed up at the wall, like that could be fun. Like Family Feud. I think that would be fun for me. It would make a great chapter. Yeah. Imagine Cersei at the wall. She'd be such a bitch. That would be amazing. amazing. She would hate it. I know. That's the chapter we deserve. Fuck. So they do a brief synopsis of if you give a mouse a cookie meets Goldilocks with Tywin thinking it's too much, Stannis not enough. 
Um, John thinks that the Lannisters could end the Night's Watch if they think it's too much aid, and the two discuss northern politics for a little while, with reminders that the Lannisters have some northern men and the Car Starks and the Boltons. Sam tells him that paper and shield are better than none. That's so Ned. Sam, like, being so, able, a paper shield's better than none is so, like, Ned and Renly. There's also the point, I was, uh, I was, uh, revisiting the Game of Thrones episode, Kill the Mouse. <laughs> oh my god. Where they cover this, this episode, and they were talking about how, along with, yeah, sure, the Lannisters could just end the Night's Watch if they wanted. Y'all were saying that, like, well, so could Stannis if he doesn't like the outcome of everything, too. They've got all their men here already. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, they have more men. Than you still like anyone has more men than you, John. That's true. Uh, I mean, he's literally scrapping yeah, people together into a pile to send them places later on, and it's just like, oh, you got no one. It's devastating. Uh, I think there's a interesting part of that that whole passage. The somehow he had hoped Sam Tarly might see it differently. It is only ink and parchment. I I like that it kind of hits two things as like the whole like it's only ink and parchment, much like Ned. Uh, but I wonder if this could even pertain to like his future claim at the throne. It's only ink and parchment. And it also makes me think of how hmm. something else being announced via ink and parchment. If he had accepted Stannis's lordship and burnt the godswood and taken Winterfell, it would have only been ink and parchment. No one would have followed it. I mean, yeah, there's definitely truth to that. I think uh, that's interesting. That's what you got out of this scene because Sam, obviously... Seems to have some faith in it, and I also see this as a difference between, like, John and Ned's mindsets, because, like, due to John's upbringing as a bastard, he values the idea of honor because his dad told him to, but he doesn't really have as much faith in this whole social structure and that idea of honor in the same way that Ned does, because, like, Ned believed that Robert's will and changing a couple of words were gonna save him in the realm and it was gonna fucking work. But it didn't. And it almost feels like John, in a way, learned from Ned's mistake, but we know that he didn't because he doesn't actually know what happened in the throne room and how it all went down. So it's more that, like, I don't know, John's experiences and the treatment that he's received, what he saw of the betrayals that befell Ned and Rob has made him more wary of paper shields than Sam, who's raised and has benefited in some ways, not in a lot of other ways, from the system. Yeah. After you see your family get screwed over at that extent yeah. how could you ever go back to believing in it look at sansa yeah fool me once disenchanted go ahead yeah that's interesting i didn't read it that <laughs> way i didn't read it anyway so i think that that's interesting i just think that that's interesting that like we see so much of him growing outside of the system quote unquote is not helpful and then how in this situation it could be yeah Something that's a benefit to him. Out here, like fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, you can't get oh my God. fooled twice. Yeah, get fooled again. <laughs> I, I don't remember the I don't I don't remember the exact quote from George so W. Poetic. Bush. Okay. Can't get fooled what again. Forty third yep. president. Uh, John has Sam get out the wax seal and he's like, "Before I change my mind," and he seals the letter. Sam then is like, "Hey, so why did Gilly leave your office crying, boss?" And the raven quarks in the background, and it's like blood, which isn't at all menacing. Uh, I can't. What, it what does it mean, Eliana? What does it mean? What, does, what it mean? does it mean? John says he's sending Gilly and the boy away. Interestingly the enough, boy. the same way that Ned speaks about John, he barely speaks about John. He sometimes calls him the boy. 
Uh, and Sam gets nervous talking about titties coming out about like Gilly's titties and feeding the kids. So <laughs> Sam like suddenly starts to stumble into historical talk and he's like, and goat's milk for the kid and boy commanders. And did you know about the night's watch? And John's like, shut up, talk about the others and what you found out in the libraries. Like, that's why I called you here. <laughs> Sam gives us a really good info dump about the others. Uh, the others aren't mentioned often in the books he's reading, but they are mentioned in the annals. The first men left runes on rocks, so the books are really the first account from Septons that found those runes and decoded them. The Archmaesters question any of the first Long Night's history, and they call John the 998th Lord Commander, but the oldest list that Sam has found shows over 600 plus Lord Commanders. Yeah, in this part, John kind of, in my opinion, rudely interrupts Sam waxing about those discrepancies and like that the way that histories are portrayed and like we already know from many 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 things that john and sam have very differing perspectives but i think this really highlights that because on one hand sure sam's maybe a little bit distracted by all the books and reading through it as you see in his chapter but i think there's also just a slight difference in focus so a colleague of mine sent me these like personality quizzes about what's your innovation animal and then i made everyone in the office take it and I'm an owl. Chloe's a penguin, in case anyone's wondering. And it made me think about the different ways that people approach problems. And I think that from the way that John redirects this conversation, he's one of those people who's like more of an action-oriented, like looking ahead, trying to find the solution here kind of person when it comes to working style. Whereas Sam is more interested in understanding things holistically and understanding the root cause in order to find solutions and like granted of course sam again isn't actively looking for the root cause here because he's a giant fucking nerd and that's why we love him but highlighting i think that inconsistency in history is part of that meta conversation within a song of bison and fires we realize that like a lot of the stories that we heard or that we know people like aren't the same as we realized like for example the people involved in john's past and parentage whatever you know you just got it in feast about sansa using a spell like a bat and killing the king and flying off with big bat wings. I like uh, it's interesting how history just recontextualizes what actually happened into like a little blurb. Uh, the songs, for example, you know, we hear all the different songs and they're all just condensed versions of heroes and stories throughout Westeros that later George has expanded in histories. Um, a lot of the Lord Commander stuff, and then you have the Knights King with his many different identities, right? He could be a, a Bolton or an Umber or a Karstark or a Stark. And of course, all of the Brandons that Old Nan mixes up. Brandon the Breaker, the Builder, the Booker, the Agent, the PR Director. You know, there's just so many fucking Brandons that Old Nan can't keep track of them. And it makes me wonder what's going to be said of the kids in the end, right? Of John, Danny, Bran, Arya, Sansa. I think we're going to end the Winds of Winter on such like an, like an incline, like such a, oh man, all of our kids are finally kind of coming out in the end. They're doing some good. Uh, it's going to be interesting to think about the very end of, you know, who is Sansa going to be the Red Wolf Queen who bled for Northern Independence? Or John, the White Wolf who forsook his honor to do his duty to the realm? Or Daenerys Stormborn, the Dragon Queen who came to purge her realm of its evils and take it back? Uh, what are the annals going to say lightning round style you know I feel like the whole a song of ice and fire thing can be kind of cliche like especially the way we saw it in the show but it also just makes my heart sore right. thinking about like these little 
clips of summaries of, of all of the stuff that all these people have been through and how that that's gonna gonna come across in these little couple line couple line things like it makes me feel so warm and fuzzy on the inside <laughs> it's so interesting to look ahead right like it, uh you think about Arya's and you know of Nymeria what Nymeria did and Arya's idolization of Nymeria and you think of I mean even think about Skagos and the the wolf king the stark king who rode a big black wolf that lived there you know it's just cool to think about what history could say about them all if history even mentions them i think there's a moment within this chapter that kind of nudges it a little more where sam's talking about archery we'll get there in a second but he's all like i kind of wanted to write down all of like He's like, I kind of wanted to write down all of Ulmer's interesting stories, put them in a book. And John's like, yeah, all right, you can go fucking do that at the Citadel then. And who is going to tell all these stories? Like, if Sam's going to tell it, maybe they're going to come out a little more favorable to some of these people. But obviously, as we've seen from things like Fire and Blood, I mean, you don't always get to control how your story gets told. Yeah, who lives, who dies, who tells your right. story. Who tells you? That's all I can think about right now. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my it's God. all Hamilton. Just saying, oh. it's all about Hamilton. So so there you go, folks. It's a secret. Yep. That's Hannah and mine's analysis. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So they continue their conversation, and Sam mentions that he's found mention of obsidian and dragon's glass. The Children of the Forest gave the Watch 100 obsidian daggers a year in the Age of Heroes, and the others only come when it's cold or possibly bring the cold with them. They're not sure. They ride dead animals, direwolves, mammoths, horses. Some accounts speak of ice spiders, even. No. Undead direwolves? That's what really the fuck? sad. <laughs> I'm just here to talk about how I learned recently that spiders can fly. Wait. We can talk about that later. Okay, no. No, 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 no. no. I don't like it. I don't want it. Do you all no, do you want to hear it no. now? What does no mean? No, no I'm not no gonna be able ever? to sleep okay. is a thing. So all right, I'll cool. Stop. Thank you though. Thank you for You're your welcome. patronage. You're welcome. <laughs> um men who fall in battle to them must be burnt or join their undead army. Fire and obsidian are the only thing to wound them and dragon steel maybe to defeat them, as an account of the last hero in the long night says. So basically, they just have to get a lot of Valyrian steel and convince everybody to give them their fancy swords. Yeah, that's going to go fine. All of the High Lords. Fine. It's going to be fine. It's fine. This it's is fine. fine. John's like, oh, this will be great. I love it. They already all love me. They don't know me, but some of them already hate John. <laughs> uh, John's like, sure. More people. Yeah. <laughs> love me or hate me. It's still an obsession. <laughs> More people to hate me, John said. Good. Thriving. <laughs> the known Valyrian steel swords in the world aren't like aren't enough to kill an army of others. They're extremely coveted due to the whole supply demand thing. And I mean, there's that huge idea that all these swords are going to come north, but there's only some that are even like known where they are. Right? There's Heartsbane. Lord Vandal Tarly has that. He's in the Reach, and we'll probably see it through Sam, but we might also see it in REN chapters or John Con chapters if he is the the friends in the Reach that Aegon has. Uh, Lady Forlorn, that's Lin Corbray's sword that we've already seen. We'll see it through future Sansa chapters. 
Longclaw, that's John's sword, the House Mormont blade. Nightfall, which is wielded by Sir Harris Harlaw in the Isles, and I do expect we'll probably see that again if Ash or Theon do return to or head back to the Iron Isles or in the Reach chapters with Sam, with Euron, maybe. Uh, Oathkeeper is Half of Ice, which we know made for Jamie. Brienne is using it to find Sansa, but she's in the Riverlands, in at the Crossroads area. She's probably not going to meet Sansa soon. Uh, there's Red Rain, stolen in a raid from House Drum on the Westerlands, possibly, because it's it's similar to Rain, as in House Rain, possibly their ancestral sword that was lost due to its coloring and name. And I totally forgot about this dude, because how could I ever remember Iron Islanders from the King's Moot? There's a lot of them, right? They all have claims. I get it. Uh, Dunstan Drum. Do you guys remember him? Please? Extremely not. Exactly. It's a forgotten character from T.O.L., maybe. Yeah, I know. I can't believe I didn't think about this at all or come up with anything from the Iron Islands for that. He was just too forgotten. Euron undermines Dunstan Drum. He's who has the sword. We see it at the King's Moot when he presses his claim. And Euron undermines Dunstan. He takes one of his biggest backers and supporters, Andric the Unsmiling, who's a great warrior, away from Dunstan. He grants him the Lordship of South Shield after he takes the shields. So if Dunstan Drum still survives, I think it's possible we're going to see it through Ashar Theon if they return, and he's going to support them against Euron. And there's a scene where we see Good Brother and Roderick the Reader and Dunstan all talking in the yard about how, oh, this is interesting. Euron's kind of out of control. <laughs> kind of like, oh, this is this is interesting. Yeah, we think he might be a psychopath. Uh, we're not sure 100%, but he might have murdered some people, like everyone. Uh, but they're all talking in the yard, so I'm wondering if they're going to partner up and be like part of the force that reawakens the part of the Isles that's left that Euron hasn't corrupted. And then there's Widow's Whale, the other half of Ice. Joffrey had it last. Uh, it's not missing or anything, so it's likely it passed from him to Tommen. I, I wonder, so going back to what you were saying about uh, Tommen and some of the sad stuff to come for him in The Winds of Winter, Widow's Whale, do you think, especially since it's more of a one- or two-handed sword, it's not as big as a bastard sword or as big as ice or anything, if maybe it's easier to handle hmm. and it will be wielded by someone maybe with a, a more feminine frame hmm. or a Dornish frame? Because Widow's Whale could also mean a whale like Elia's whale. And maybe one of the sand snakes could wield it. I mean, let's not bring into the play the fact that Rainey's had a kitten, too. I thought you were going for Arya. No, no, I was going for maybe a sand snake. No, because I like, don't think Arya will be. By the time I mean, this happens, this has to happen by the middle to end of T-Wow. I mean, I thought you just meant eventually in general, because I was like, no. I mean, it's her father's sword. Right, right, right. No, but. Yeah, I don't, know. I'm just I don't being... know. It's an idea. Yeah, yeah. I think um, one of the Dornish is interesting. Maybe first to them. I, as you said, there's a couple of them heading up to King's Landing. I think another widow wailing, of course, could be Marjorie, not just Cersei. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I thought was interesting was the Dragonbone Hilt Dagger mm. that the failed assassin, the Cat Spot, had. It's it's still in the possession of Peter Baelish. Hmm. I forgot all about that. He has it. What a fucking He weirdo. took it off of Ned. So I do think this is going to be evidence used against him in Winterfell at some point because he took this off of Ned. 
I bet that I bet he just like stares and looks at it and he's like, I'm so smart. Fuck this dagger. I tricked everyone. I, I think it's likely we'll see it come back in either Arya or Sansa's plot. Uh, there's a there's a Valyrian steel axe that's reputedly mm-hmm. possessed by House Celtigar. We might see that come back maybe through Aegon's plot or Orain's plot, Orain Waters. We talked about him in our patron episode, the Forgotten Characters episode this month, and how they'll affect the Winds of Winter. But I, I don't know, that might that might come back into play. Maybe not, but we'll see. And then there's a couple missing ones with no fates, which, okay, I already know where half of these are, even though it's no fate, right? You have uh, Blackfire passed from Aegon 1 all the way down to Aegon 4 eventually. Damon Blackfire gets it. He has his rebellion, and his where the whereabouts of the sword are quote unquote unknown. But I mean, Golden Company, right? Yeah, and, and I think that there's that aspect of what there's a passage I think floating around there, a draft of it, allegedly. I don't know. Galenix, Galenix, yeah, Galenix on Reddit chronicled it in um a post about. Clues that lead to the Blackfire theory around Fagon, and one of them has to do with like an old draft of this chapter discussing Illyrio, saying that oh, the sword we can't forget the sword and wanting to give it to Aegon, but I think that got nixed in the final. If Blackfire doesn't melt from wildfire later, and I don't know, maybe Daenerys takes it from the ruins like her martyr sword. Mm. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah right. Kind of rock and roll. <laughs> rock and roll there's bright roar lost when king tom and the second lannister of the rock sailed to valyria never returned pour one out for the homie uh dark sister visenya's sword last known wielder was blood raven too bad we have no idea where that could be can't figure it out george said that george confirmed when a shea of history of westeros asked at a convention that blood raven brought dark sister up to the wall with him so we have that going for us. It's too bad Mira Reed has to warm up with that sword before she gets dawn, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's so hard being the sword of the morning. So hard. So hard. Uh, Lamentation? House Royce's sword? It was lost in storming of the dragon pit off of William Royce's uh, dead body? Don't know. That might show up. Maybe in the veil plot. Maybe one of the Royces will unearth it or something. Who knows? Maybe... The High Sparrow has it or something. Maybe it like got passed around the, the church-going community. We don't know. We Maybe. might find it. We might not. Sam could lead an archaeological dig of oh the dragon pit. That'd be, be down for this. really pure. I would, I would read, too. I would That'd read be a that great game. Story. I told you, I only read pure fanfic. <laughs> there you right? go. This is the pure right fanfic I want. <laughs> Sam going on archaeological dig. Being like, alright, everyone. I would do that as like a video game. Truly. Ooh. Uh, Orphan Maker, ancestral sword of House Roxton. It went from John Roxton to eventually Unwin Peak after the dance. Roxton Roll. Roxton Roll. It was never found. So the Peaks are noted Blackfire supporters. I think we're going to see this surface in the Aegon plot. Uh, there's Truth, which is a Valyrian steel sword carried by Moreto Rojar of Lys. There's Vigilance, the sword of House Hightower. Its last owner was Lord Ormond Hightower. So wouldn't surprise me if we see it in uh, some of the citadel chapters, right? In the south. Maybe Sam chapters. And then a great curved Valyrian steel blade. 
with a dragonbone hilt from Sandok the Shadow in 135 AC. And that is, those are the noted Valyrian steel. That's it. So that's what they have against the others. Isn't there a spoon? There's a spoon somewhere too, right? I have don't no remember. idea. That's a great... No. Do you guys... No. I mean, there's so many of these that A, you kind of forget about, that I forget about, and B, they're just scattered everywhere. And I feel like we didn't really learn anything from the TV series about how this is really going to go down. But how realistic do you think that it is that we have enough of these things to even make any sort of impact? It's so not. Yeah. I mean, okay, Dragonstone has been mining it since Stannis arrived at the wall, right? He sent off a, an email and he was like, better get the going on the production floor mining this obsidian. But who's so, project managing? I don't know. And that is Stannis' biggest downfall. And that is why he has to burn his daughter. But because <laughs> of his horrible corporate structure and foundation. But I digress. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so Dragonstone's going to have a huge abundance. And I almost wonder if, so Stannis will not get it there because Stannis maybe dies or does some shit and whatever. And he doesn't get the obsidian there. And then Danny shows up and that's why John has to bargain with mm. him for it. Hmm. That's interesting. I haven't thought of that till this moment. Cause I'm like, how does he get this obsidian? Because Stannis says he's mining it, but doesn't ever arrive. Um, and then it's also noted Skagos has a bunch of obsidian, so we all know what Davos is actually bringing back, not Rickon. It's bringing probably obsidian right. back instead. I don't know. I think it's going to be a mad rush of these places have obsidian, they have mines, etc., and these places can mine it and get to us, and it's doing business to get those and getting the Valyrian swords north and also getting dragons north. I mean, as we learned, fire, they're vulnerable to fire. Lord help us all. It sounded like they said that fire dismays them. The quote is like fire dismays them, but holds them off. Obsidian actually stops yeah. them. Yeah, it sounds yeah. like I don't know the way I don't know a shit ton of mosquitoes fucking dismay me. <laughs> yeah, probably a little bit more, but <laughs> in what the show has seen us, there's a lot that I don't think goes down in the same way as in the source material the award-winning yeah. hit tv show game of thrones love that show right it's not tv it's hbo <laughs> oh my god but i think that there's merit to the idea that the fire doesn't truly defeat them yeah which i think makes it more interesting because there's more of the scramble to get something that actually works it would be interesting if like the fire is something that they rely on and then they realize that they can't. Some drama. Yeah. It, like, holds them back a little, but not right. enough. Yeah. So, I don't know. In order to solve that, Sam's like, I'm gonna look through more books then. Sam's like, well, guess what? You get all the fucking books you want when you take this hit, hot vacation getaway <laughs> with your closest friends, Gilly, Eamon, and Darian, to Old Town. Sam's like, I didn't want to go on a vacation with Grandpa. <laughs> but thanks. <laughs> right. This isn't fucking Little Miss Sunshine. It actually is. It follows a similar plot. Eamon's super fucking old. He's not going to make it. Yeah. How's yeah. he going to travel? Who's going to send the ravens? Bran. No, it's, it's Clytus. It's fucking Clytus. Yeah, it's Clytus. God. Yeah. John is like, if you still mean to pass the boy off as your bastard son... 
you should go and take Gilly and the boy to live at Horn Hill with your mom and sisters and have them watch the child. Because, okay, that's exactly what they want to do with their lives, but losing past that, right? Uh, Yeah. Sam says Darren can see her to Old Town just as well as he could, and he begins to stammer and get upset. Poor baby. He's so afraid Mm -hmm. of his dad. Yeah, his dad's fucking scary. There's also a slight edge to what John's saying, and I'm kind of wondering, is John testing Sam a little bit in, like, a slightly mean way? He's like, Sam, you said you would do it, right? Oh, this child is your bastard. Like, he's like, what, now that you have to go face your family, are you ashamed to call him your bastard? Well, and on top of that, what about, I mean, the show played with it, and it it obviously Mm -hmm. might not have as deep of an impact, but Gilly. Right. She's very much so not a lady of the reach. And she and she owns that as we're yeah. going to see in a sec. But but as we also see in this chapter from some Southerners, they have some predisposed prejudices, right? Yeah. Well, I have some predisposed prejudices against Randall Charlie. So, but John has to know those things, right? Like that's that's like time and time again in this chapter. It's like John knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, I think John kind of knows, but he a doesn't care. B he theoretically doesn't have that much right uh yeah. experience with right. southern he probably he might not it's just yeah i don't know he's just like whatever everyone's gonna do whatever the fuck i want put your hands over candles because i'm in charge <laughs> yeah. this is our thing now he decided to put on the lord's face and he thinks that's it mm-hmm. yeah so sam tells john he's been working on his archery and John's like, I have dozens of archers, Sam, and all of them are fucking better than you. And I don't have any reading and writing people. I need you to learn and become a maester and come back. And Sam's like, I don't want to cut up corpses. Same thing. I had to ditch in high school during the frog thing. But we tried to get a kid to eat a piece. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Two types of people. <laughs> <laughs> the shit. Uh, he uh, he's afraid of wearing a chain, which we know why, obviously. Uh, And John is very firm on the matter. All the maesters they have are on their way out of life. So Sam will go. And none of this is going how John wants it to. He expected Sam to be like, yes, I'm going to a library to wear robes. But Sam's afraid of being a healer and he fears blood. And Sam's like, I'm Sam the scared, not Sam the slayer. Which like, whoa, shut the fuck up, Sam, first off. But I get you. Yeah, I'm going to be real here for a second. I think we all know that part of Sam's huge fear of going to the Citadel is the idea of becoming a maester because his abusive father was like, oh, you like chains? Try being chained for a few days. You like that? It's like, oh, that's not what it's like. And I don't think John truly understands what he's asking Sam to do because ultimately he's asking Sam to confront Sam's greatest fear. And yeah, Sam's proven himself brave when he has to in the face of like, creepy ice demons like the others and a bunch of other shit but it it's that very personal aspect of you know the human heart and conflict with itself blah blah that george is like talks about and the greatest fear and challenge for sam isn't the others right it's his personal issues with his abusive father and i think john to an extent can't really relate to this because again he's shoving sam into his worst fears 
by forcing him to go against his father's wishes that his father literally abused him for. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very personal challenge, and I think John's faced a lot of very difficult challenges, but in ways, there have been things that have gotten him out of those, in like the narrative sense, like the narrative conflict of many of them. Like when he had to choose between the Starks and the Wall in book one, his friends came and saved him, they fucking Neville Longbottomed him, and then later on, you know, Bran gives John an out when he's choosing between like killing this innocent man at Queen's Crown and... Egret plays a role in this too, of course, right? In showing his loyalty. And then later on with that difficult decision a few chapters ago at the end of A Storm of Swords, John has to decide between becoming Lord of Winterfell or staying at the Wall. And it was hinted at, right, what John was going to choose, but he didn't ultimately have to make that choice for himself. The voting kind of decided it for him. And he's like, this is a fantastic promotion. I'm going to stay here. And so... John hasn't had to actually truly confront his bastardy in the face of his starkness or the other familial issues, his fears, right? We see that he still thinks of Catelyn sometimes, but he's asking Sam to do the same thing and is downplaying it and mocking Sam for that. And sometimes, in my opinion, this sort of personal trauma can be surprisingly much harder than any other external difficulty in that way. Humans are really complex and and the things that you don't expect to be terrifying for them are and that's why this last act of a song of ice and fire that we're waiting for those last two books to to close the song out you know uh you really feel that sense as we go along with john of him he hasn't had to choose he hasn't had to choose and when he's finally given the choice the motherfucker chooses wrong and he dies Mm -hmm. for it um, we know what mm-hmm. happens. John dies at the end. Haha. And that's how huh. series I like. See what I did there? But yeah, I did. <laughs> every time someone's like, what's the series you like the most? I'm like, John dies at the end. They're like, no, I know you like A Song of Ice and Fire. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're like John with an H. Yeah, different John. This is what he does. He finally gets the choice and he dies for his choice. He dies for it. And like I said earlier, he gets lucky and gets to come back. Uh, but it, it's like with Egret to add into that list of things he didn't choose on. Egret died and he hesitates, right? We read that chapter and we specifically called out that line that you and I talked about that his hand hesitates on the quiver and he thinks I can't kill her, but he doesn't, he doesn't even do it. Yeah. He finds her later and she's dead. Someone else probably did it. He thinks it's him, but it's him projecting what happens. Like you said, He's never had to confront his bastardy. He's never had to deal with Stark versus something. Um, And now suddenly he has to deal with Stark versus the wall. And what happens when it's Stark versus Targaryen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even, even, even at the end of this upcoming book, he's still choosing. He's kind of making a choice, but it's still not the same as being confronted of, Mm -hmm. are you going to be rejected yet again? He safeguards that choice too. Yeah. He's like, okay, Mance, you go. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he like compromises and that's what he does at the wall too he's like okay so if I do this this is how everyone can live kind of happily-ish but don't you think also though that by forcing like he doesn't give Sam the choice he forces him into it that he's kind of doing the same thing that's been done to him a little bit in the sense of like his destiny's been he's like turning his shoulders and facing him towards the road that he needs to go down. Not that Sam is necessarily going to have the choice because he doesn't want to do it to confront his past and who he is. Um, 
It's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. But I just, I think the fact that Sam is John's best friend, they're not talking about even Gilly necessarily, you know? Like, Sam is somebody who they've been through hell together, and he still makes these horrible comments about him and turns it on him that this is Sam's fault that he has to do this because Sam's the one who made him Lord Commander in the first place, and you plotted for us to get here, so now we're here, so congratulations. And he just, like, I, I this line about when he says he has no patience for the fat boy's fears, t- to me it's just like, what the heck? Because this is yeah. not some rando. I mean, this is Sam that you're thinking about, and it's just such a off-putting thing for him to be thinking. Yeah, he like He's like, I'm going to fix all my problems by projecting onto you guys and making you fix your problems so I can feel successful. And uh, I know kind of what, like to justify, and there's really no justification, it's an asshole move, but Sam in his mind is different now, right? Like he even talks a few chapters back, I think we talked about how he thinks Sam no longer is as fat as he was, like he's leaner, uh, he's moving differently, he's excited about things, he's reading and getting excited about knowledge, which is what's really so crushing here because he's bringing all this knowledge to John and all this passion. John's like, yeah, fuck off. You're going to the Citadel. Uh, Good luck. Take the old guy. And he's just being as cold as possible to disconnect, right? Like he's doing what Ned did. Ned with Sansa, for example, Ned disconnected. He couldn't handle it. It was too much. And he had to disconnect and compartmentalize what he's doing. And John is compartmentalizing, uh, completely compartmentalizing. It's so sad because it's like to him, the fat boy's fears, that's that's the Sam that showed up at the Night's Watch, right? Like, that's a different mm-hmm. boy than the man that he knows. That He's like, Sam, you've slayed a goddamn other. Like, what are you crying about at this point? He just, he, he refuses to understand because he just wants it all to go how he wants it to go. Yeah, John's just like, Sam, what happened? I was there and kind of, like, not really there, but I saw what happened after three books of character development. Please bring that to the table for me. Yeah. Also, John needs to go to a therapist because, as you said, he's compartmentalizing and projecting onto everyone else. But I think this idea of him trying to voice that solution, getting other people to solve his problems for him, reminds me of a line from Mm. another king in the first book where Robert says to Ned, Come south of me and I'll teach you how to laugh again, the king promised. You helped me win this damnable throne. Now help me hold it. And it's just like... John saying to Sam, you lied and schemed and plotted to make me Lord Commander. You will obey me. Oh, and the parallel is because John is Robert's son. Oh my god. Uh... You're fired. You're fired. Don't boo me. Why are you booing me? I'm right. (laughs) Oh my god. You know you're not. Chloe's voicing her troubles. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm projecting projecting my troubles. Yeah. Chloe's projecting right now. I'm compartmentalizing. I don't want to face it. By by reliving instead of dis- disassociating your yeah. uh, your role playing. <laughs> yeah, I'm compartmentalizing because oh of Ti Wow. <laughs> uh. My lord, my f- f- father, Lord Randall. He he. The life of a maester is a life of servitude. No son of House Charlie will ever wear a chain. The men of Horn Hill do not bow and scrape to petty lords. John, I cannot disobey my father. Kill the boy, John thought. The boy in you, and the one in him. Kill the both of them, you bloody bastard. Why is this, like, John's responsibility for both of them? 
It's not. Which is so weird because I could totally understand. And we talked about this a little bit with Gilly. Kind of like, why is this his responsibility to like make this choice for her? Like, this is not his job to make Sam into who he thinks Sam needs to be. So it's literally none of the things he's doing in this book are his job. It's such a weird thing to Mm. think. His job was to send the fucking letter. And did you forget to send the Ravens, John? Like, okay, you're going to chide Sam, but not yourself. Um, It's also, though, again, in defense of the system, it's a system that's needed reform, as we've said for so long. It's not getting it. And John's trying to do the best thing for the watch. Uh, for the watch and oh, oh. <laughs> he's, he's trying to do the best thing for them though right like he is trying to choose what's right for them but what's right is different to john than it is for them as we've discussed and to him he has that start versus watch mentality and for sam it's like i know what's right for you sam so this is what's right for you and that that doesn't matter if you think you know what's right for him john because it's not he's not you he's you, you can't control him on that level like, you could tell him to go, like, read a book for you and report back and give you a book report, write your own Girls Gone Canon episode, you know? Or, like, you can have him go and muck the stables, or you can do stuff like that, but you can't control how he thinks and what he wants and what his dreams and hopes are just because you're mad because he made you the Lord Commander. Like, you weren't going to choose Winterfell anyways, dipshit. You literally said you weren't. I think it's interesting that you bring that up. I'm sorry, I know hand only is 25%. No, it's okay. (laughs) Because you were talking about Bran's storyline earlier, and I think that all the things that you're saying are similar to the struggles and lessons that Bran's going to have to learn. Bran, who literally has the power to control uh, what other people do, and to an extent feel and think, and realizing, wait, no, I can't slash I shouldn't do that. Mm Mm-hmm. I think this is also the plot of Bruce Almighty. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I've never seen it. I'm excited to see that in Bran, yeah. though. That's, like, such a whole interesting yeah. other, like, philosophical dive that you guys can get into. John and Bran are both, and Rob, we see what happened to Rob. These are the Stark kids that are now given any agency or power. John's, albeit, is a bit different from uh, that, and so is Bran as the Lord of Winterfell. But then you have Arya and Sansa, who have been reduced to no power to... You know, Sansa is a bastard in a bad way right now. She's Littlefinger's kid, which couldn't get worse oh, than God. that. Yeah. Um, Arya, you know, is what? Fucking she just stopped being blind a few minutes ago. Um, I'm like, uh, if you are spoiled for the Winds of Winter, you know exactly where she is. And it's not good, people. Mm-hmm. Like, things look bad for our heroes at this point. So it's nice that John gets a little bit of agency finally out of all these kids. He's never had agency ever Right. You know, he's just like, I'm the bastard and I sit at this table. Um, yes, he had a great damned. life, but damned. Exactly. He, d- he doesn't get to, like, choose things or do things or, like, have an opinion on things. This is just the life he's been handed. So finally he gets to make choices and he's like, I'm going choice crazy. No one else gets choices anymore. Only me. <laughs> and all these choices are going to get him killed. So Tom and his, like, beats are yeah, banned and true. John is like, choice is banned. John's like, I'm gonna make the fucking choice for you. You're gonna leave an hour before first slide, all right? No goodbyes. Just so mean. Hashtag no goodbyes. Yeah. Um, and I we've been talking about this for whatever the last 500 hours, but he is as he's doing this, 
is this one of those things that is one of those major mistakes that he's making? Like, is he putting himself, not only is he putting Sam in a tough position, as we've been talking about, but would is this putting John in a more precarious position that he seems to be kind of not really understanding the, where he is and how he's being viewed and not seemingly not doing anything about it, which he's going to continue to not do anything about it for chapters on chapters. But I'm just wondering if you guys think that if Sam was at the wall, if things may have changed for John, or if you think that things would have basically carried out in the same way, he just would have had a friend by his side. He probably would still have gotten killed. Let's be honest. I mean, Sam can't stop that much, but Sam could have maybe tried to sway some of it for a while. Um, I mean, the bigger thing would be, could he stop John, not them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think if Sam's able to stop John from himself for a little, then yes, things could have gone differently. Granted, at the same time, yeah, at the same time, you know, what John says of how Sam got him into this job is kind of true, you know, like Sam was John's PR person, so was Eamon. Eamon was also John's PR person, and John decides, you know what, I'm just not going to address any of my image problems right now amongst the people. Uh. So John is unable to sleep, and he finds himself tossing in bed, and he remembers Eamon's last speech to him. Allow me to give my lord one last piece of advice counsel the old man had said the same counsel that i once gave my brother when we parted for the last time he was three and thirty when the great council chose him to mount the iron throne a man grown with sons of his own yet in some ways still a boy egg had an innocence to him a sweetness we all loved Kill the boy within you, I told him the day I took ship for the wall. It takes a man to rule. An egg on, not an egg. Kill the boy and let the man be born. The old man felt John's face. You are half the age that egg was, and your own burden is a crueler one, I fear. You will have little joy of your command, but I think you have the strength in you to do the things that must be done. Kill the boy, John Snow. Winter is almost upon us. Kill the boy and let the man be born. Gotta crack a few eggs to make an egg on. <laughs> I never realized that Amon touches John's face. It's so good. good. It's so sad. <laughs> it's also funny. I'm... I hate to say it. <laughs> it's very yeah. sense of a woman. Yeah. Sad. Probably don't sad. That. I don't know if that was a good film or not. I don't not. know. Uh, I love this paragraph, though. I feel like it's such a classic, but it gets me every time. It is a classic. And I feel like this whole conversation of John's death being foreshadowed in this kill the boy thing is something that's uh, basically everybody just like takes as canon at this point, which I think is for the better because it's what it is, basically. (laughs) But yeah. What does it mean? Yeah, so many <laughs> questions. Um, but I think that's something I think a lot about in terms of, and this is something that we kind of have the luxury of doing because we're taking for granted this idea that John's coming back. But it makes me think a lot about how he'll come back or not just how he'll come back, but who he'll come back as. Because I feel like we didn't really get a chance to explore this in the hit television show, HBO's Game of Thrones. Um 
but I think that obviously A Song of Ice and Fire is going to dive deeper into who John is as a man, quote unquote, after he's bo- the boy's been killed. And I don't know what that's going to look like. And I think that that's going to probably have a bigger impact than him just literally just like coming back to life. And that was it. We never thought about it oh, again. Agreed. Well, and you think about what these people died with in their minds, right? You think about Kat. Lady Stoneheart, and she died with vengeance and, like, the loss of everything in her mind. And John died at failed command. I mean, the idea that John won't want to be a ruler ruler, but still be forced in that reluctant ruler role for a while to do the job and get the job done. That's interesting. And I do have some stuff that I think we're going to talk about in a little bit very similar to this. But I do wonder if that's what drives John to a show John ending, right? If that's if we remove some of that emotion I can see Danny being eager at 2.0 with John and him choosing duty over her. But I'm curious, how is he even going to fall in love again when he comes back from the dead? You know right. what I mean? Like, how's he going to be emotional towards a human? That's surprising to me. I don't know. It's yeah. crazy to think about. It's going to be weird. He's going to be more blocky. I think we're going to see this whole dialogue uh, and thought process where it's like dialogue. John actually thought this dialogue. John thought this. Uh, we'll see that a lot more, maybe, or maybe not. Maybe we won't get a lot of the inside ideas anymore. I worry that we'll miss a lot of the things I love about these John chapters. It's also not confirmed that he can get it up. I'm going to throw that out there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> True. <laughs> so wait, does that mean Lady Stoneheart and Undead John is canon? Oh my oh gosh. My God. <laughs> wow. So I, I'm sure all those, all of those uh, people theorizing after the first book came back. They're going to finally be vindicated. Oh my God. I'm really happy for them. Hated. So John dons his cloak. He puts on his Lord Commander outfit and his floppy ears. And he strolls the camp with Ghost, a silent shadow at his side. And Kedge White Eye, fake name, but okay, updates John, uh, tells him things are normal at the wall except for some wrong way Rangers, which were Sir Richard Horp and Justin Massey. Stannis had sent them out for some secretive reason, and Dwyan notified John they're going the wrong way. John thinks, whatever, let Stannis have his secrets, as the gods know I have mine. This is John's Frodo moment. Oh my god. I mean, is this not a Ned Stark line? This is literally a Ned Stark line. This Mm. is Ned Stark kept his vows. He thought of the promises he'd made Lyanna as she lay dying and the price he paid to keep them. Same line. It totally is because I'm also like, John, what secrets do you have? Everyone fucking knows what you did. Everyone knows that when you went with the wildlings and all of the things. Literally, everybody knows. Everyone knows every fucking little embarrassing thing he's ever done. Yeah, but nobody understands him because he's Jon Snow. (laughs) And damned. And do you know how clean his hair looks even though he hasn't washed it in two weeks? (laughs) Is that the secret? That he hasn't washed it in two weeks? He stopped Why his hair so big? He's yeah. full of secrets. Um, oh my god. You know, John has nightmares after this, and usually his nightmares are like ghost eating things, right? That's like, that's John's nightmares. That's Just the dream. Put it into perspective for you. Uh, it's ghost tearing into like sinew and flesh and blood, but it's actually about Gilly, and she's basically in it, and she's just like pleading for him to leave the babies alone. But then he rips the children from her arms. And oh my god. Then he hacks their heads off. And then he swaps the heads around and tells her to sew them back in place. So dark. Uh, it's a lot to unpack. 
Yeah. John needs a therapist. Yeah. Part three. Yeah. I, I feel like that's like the biggest takeaway this chapter. From this chapter. Yeah. I, I don't want to be a therapist. John too. Dude, I know. We have like 11 more episodes to do on John too. So you guys are his darker. Really? Or is yeah. it 11 chapters? It's 11 chapters. We'll see what happens, I guess. But Let me think it happened. Oh my god, we are John's chapter, his therapist. We're John Snow's therapist. Have a good time. Wow. So <laughs> Hannah's like, I'm piecing out after this episode. <laughs> She's piecing out during <laughs> it. Shit. Um, so it, this, this nightmare is crazy. It's whack, as we know, but it's also just like a net episode, a net episode mm. that we've talked about. Uh, when he slept, he dreamed dark, disturbing dreams of blood and broken promises. Yes. Yikes. Promise me, John. Promise me you won't make him a crow. Oh, promise me you won't let him burn. <sighs> yep. He's gonna fuck up. You sad, bro? I am sad. sad. I feel really sad. Yep. Sad.com. Welcome to Girls Gone Canon, where we get I sad. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> uh, yep. And so then Ed wakes him up. He's like, it's the hour of the wolf. And we're like, hey. wow. <laughs> we still don't know what it is. Yeah, actually, that's true. I don't. Ask George. <laughs> and yeah, this is a, actually a question. And so John goes back to work. He's brought some breakfast. The smells are stronger in my wolf dreams, he reflected. And food tastes richer, too. Ghost is more alive than I am. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. I, I wonder how much more alive he'll be in 11 chapters than you, John. When he's Very. into ghosts. Just... When he's worked into ghosts. Yep. Yeah. He's like, ghost is the real ultimate foodie life. <laughs> so. Doesn't Arya talk, say the same thing, essentially? Yeah, that food is more vibrant. I think Bran does, too, at one yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Bran, if you spend too much time in your wolf. Oh, right. Summer, it was yep. Bran that I was thinking of. Yeah. Yep. Alas, I'm just an owl. And right now the world is cold and still, but it's warming up. And John's like, I don't know, maybe it'll get warmer. And it'd be really good if the wall weeps. You know, the gods are good. The gods are never good. He reaches the lickyard, and there the column and escort has formed. And Black Jack Bulwer commands the escort. And two wins. Maester Aemon is covered in a bear skin. And he's like small. And John's like, he's so small. And he's in the back of a boiled leather covered wain. Can we talk about Blackjack Bulwer? My grandparents told me that we had a train robber from the 30s in our family so cool. that we're distantly related to named Blackjack Ketchum. And maybe it's like inappropriate. He was a train robber, though. Like, imagine being a train robber. Like, you'd have to board a train and hold up a whole oh train. So, I don't know. I, I thought that was just magical. I thought that Blackjack Bulwer, my relative at the wall, was just, oh what a story. Uh, so Gilly and Sam are standing with the baby nearby, and John's kind of like, I can't tell what baby that is, huh? And her eyes are red. Uh, Maester Eamon tells John that he's left him a book, the Jade Compendium, and a passage was marked for him to read. Likely not important. Don't worry about it, John. Uh, I want to know. Right? Eamon tells him that knowledge is a weapon. You should arm yourself before you ride off to battle with it. And then it begins to snow, which is a bad omen. 
John tells Blackjack, take no risks, make good time, but look after them. You have a baby and an old man aboard. And Gilly lays her own charges at John. Find a wet nurse for the baby like you said you would. She's careful with her words, but tells him to watch over, quote, Dalla's boy, unquote. So he grows big and strong. She tells him not to name him till he's past two years old because it's ill luck in free folk culture. John says, as you command, my lady. Uh, Don't call me that. I'm a mother, not a lady. I'm Crasser's wife and Crasser's daughter and a mother. Damn straight. That's my girl. I felt so much pride when I read those words. I love that Gilly's the best. She doesn't get enough fucking credit for everything that she's been through. Amen. I'm a mother, not a lady. God, I love her. I mean, John should respect that, like, that she she throws that back at him. And she's truly the embodiment of owning who you are. Like, Tyrion thinks he knows what it is, and he's like, armor yourself, so no one can use it against you, and then he doesn't really do it. And John doesn't really get it till later on. He kind of gets it now. He's like, whatever, it doesn't matter. But, like, Gilly, she's out here being like, I'm Craster's wife and Craster's daughter and a mother. Who has kids. Yeah, taking on the world and damn. I'm like owning that protect, so that part protect, about her. I know. Protect that girl. She's like, I've. And through it all, she's saying, like, you know, I'm not like the rest of you. I've been through all this shit and, like, don't don't talk down to me. Yeah, I love that. It's. Especially with all the classism that we even see at the wall, right? It's still there, even if it's just a penal colony. Some people get better perks than others. We're about to get into why some people shouldn't get better perks than others and why they get their head cut off. But um, she, like, it's one thing to say it, and it's one thing for John to own his stuff and Tyrion to own his stuff, but Gilly doesn't have a choice. She doesn't get to talk a big game. She has to live it. It's not just that she lives it. Like, these are the cards Gilly was dealt. She's like whatever percentage of her father's DNA. Well, and Gilly arguably has like a much higher ladder to climb too. You know, I think that Tyrion and Jon are still in a higher place of privilege than somebody like Gilly is, which makes, I think, it even more powerful that she's willing to own it. Back talking. Good for you. Exactly. She's like, you know, she's been met with scorn, right, from people like Stannis. She's been maybe met with pity, She's gone through everything, and this is her reclaiming her dignity and her identity. She's like, put some fucking respect on mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Alright, and watch my son. It's the least you can fucking do after everything I've done. She takes the child to breast after she climbs into the wane, and Sam immediately looks away. Sam. Fucking oh, Sam. Sam. I guess it's foreshadowing Literally. of... <laughs> past shadowing of... Sam and Gilly, I don't know. Uh, Sam lingers to say goodbye to Ed and John. And they have a really sweet passage. John reminds him of, you know, Gilly when they first met her. She was afraid and all the rabbits had been eaten by ghosts. And he says, it's not the wolf she should have been afraid of, was it? And Sam says she has more courage than she knows. So do you, Sam. Have a swift, safe voyage and take care of her and Eamon and the child. The cold trickles on his face reminded John of the day he'd bid farewell to Rob at Winterfell, never knowing that it was for the last time. And pull your hood up. The snowflakes are melting in your hair. 
Oh. I'm sad. Uh, he oh. finally found his brother, and just like Rob sent his brother away, Theon, and that was his mortal mistake. John sent away Sam, his brother. What an idiot. Is <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> <Here's> the thing. <laughs> Good good analysis. Thanks. You know. <laughs> that was good. Solid. A plus. The column leaves and the snow is heavily falling and Ed reminds him, oh wait, remember those guys? Jittle, Slit, and Giant? Your favorite people ever. They're waiting for you. <laughs> John's like, ah shit. And then he watches the ball and thinks about the ball's weaknesses and strengths. The height being its strength. The length being its weakness. There's something to be said here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid everything right now. We gotta go through. <laughs> he remembers what Ned once said: "A wall is only as strong as the men who stand behind it." Why did I say it like that? Giant's real name is Bedwick, and he waits for John in the armory. He's the smallest man in the watch. So then, John's put a garrison together in Icemark, and he intends to give Giant command. Giant's like five feet tall. I love that He's for like, him. I love him. Uh, he's like tiny. You know what I mean? But like six foot seven, but like it's the opposite. It's giant. He's like so incredulous. He's a crofter's bastard, he reminds John, who was put on the wall for poaching. But John sees more than that. John is like, you're a survivor from the fist of the first men. And you survived Craster's Keep. You've been a ranger for 12 years and the younger men look up to you. Giant's like, I can't read or write. And John's like, I have maesters from the Citadel coming for that reason. You'll be commanding 20 men from the Watch and 10 from Stannis' army. He warns Giant of the brothers going with him that arrive with Jano Slint, and Giant says 30 men won't be enough to throw wildlings off the wall if they make it to the top. And John's like, yeah, well, lol, 300 probably wouldn't be enough either, but that's okay. Ha ha ha. And we, we definitely don't have 300, so... <laughs> Anywhere. Like, John's, like, looking in his cloak. He's like, you in there, 300 Night's Watchmen? Uh, he's praying that the wall will defend itself like he's seen it done in the past and that they would have the aerial advantage against wildlings if they attack or something worse. Giant asks what other garrisons will be reopened, and John says only this and Greyguard, and he means to have Janos man Greyguard against his better wishes and thoughts. He says... A man does not rise to command of the gold cloaks without ability. Except he's like a golden rat and has no ability. <laughs> Just like <Stay>. struggling. <laughs> Lord Janos cannot be as great a fool as he seems, John says. But then at the same time, he's like, I want him away from Alice of Thorn in his head. And narrator voice, Lord Janos is as great a fool as he seems. Just putting that out there. He sucks. Uh, Giant is like, that's great, but Janos would be better in the kitchen, like being a scullion. And John's like, I'd never eat another turnip again if he was. Like, that bitch would poison For my sure, ass. For sure, though. So- <laughs> For sure. So why, I don't know if Janos can cook. He absolutely can't. I mean, clearly you don't- has no taste in people, so. Oh my god. Good thing he's not cooking people. Uh- <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Shit. He'd season them all wrong. Send the boy to Skagos. Half the morning passes before Janos arrives. That's like some balls right there. Like, oh, I'm just not going to show up to the meeting my boss scheduled. Uh, John is cleaning Longclaw, something Eddard taught his sons to do, care for their own weapons. And Janos sits and he's like scowling and he ignores John's sword. 
John slid the oilcloth down his bastard sword, watching the play of morning light across the ripples, thinking how easily the blade would slide through skin and fat and sinew to part Slint's ugly head from his body. Dude, damn, that's another moment akin to Rob with his sword across his lap right there. John is big money moves, long claws out. He learned a few things about being a lord. It shows. Yeah, he's out here sharing his uh, fantasies with everyone. Oh my god. I feel like it works for once in this instance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because of all this, you know, J- John finds it hard to think of Jandos as a brother. He's like, well, he's kind of complicit in, like, my dad dying. And also he wants me to die. <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm. Of course he's going to have opinions, I mean. <laughs> yeah, you can't expect the guy to, like, love him back. Yeah. John is like, I'm giving you Greyguard. And Slint's kind of taken aback at first. And then he's like, oh, Greyguard, where you climbed the wall with your wildling friends, bastard. And John's like, glossing past that. Uh, he's like, the fort's in a sorry state. And he's forming a plan basically with him to get it back to working order while thinking in his mind, also it's going to suck getting it back to working order. I mean, it's going to, that's the case for all of them, right? Yeah. It's, John's like sending Janoso at least with like 30 men to go with him, 10 from the wall, 10 from the shadow tower, and 10 of Stannis' men. Janos is like, I don't like this gift. I am insulted. I'm, and he tells him that when Jano Slint was running King's Landing, you were in diapers, so you can go <laughs> fuck right off with your gate, with your gray guard shit. Yeah, that's so really funny. <laughs> I, I was like, wait, where am I going? <laughs> Jano Slint wears gay guard. Uh, I'm giving you a chance, my lord. It is more than you ever gave my father. So John's doing that thing. We've talked about it a little bit above before. Uh, we talked about it last episode with Mary, where he's giving us the truth between dialogue cuts. Super clever how George cuts it. He cuts the emotion. He builds the suspense. He takes out any body language from John, and he intersperses lines of dialogue with a sharp thought behind it, telling the truth. And it, it works really well for the sad bits of this chapter with Gilly and Sam, because He's been doing this all throughout, showing that the words he says are dishonest, right? They're different from the words he wants to say. Hmm. Definitely. I, I And I think there's a, an aspect of that too, right? Because like, John's like, Janos, you mistake me. This isn't an offer. It was a command. Then he goes back to like, I don't know, trying to establish his dominance. He tells him to go pack your shit, get ready to go at first light. But, you know, it occurs to me that in regards to what you're saying, John isn't being completely honest with Jandos here either. He's angry for obvious reasons, and that's what gets in the way. But, like, it, I mean, John could have told Jandos what he actually thinks, right? He's like, I mean, you must have been somewhat competent to do what you did in King's Landing. You rose through the ranks of the Gold Cooks, and John Aaron was the one who promoted you. And he's like, that's kind of impressive. Clearly, you could do this job. And I think Jandos would be way more receptive to John being like, yo, I think you might actually be really qualified for doing this because mm-hmm. Janos loves being flattered. But instead, John's like, I hate you, fuck you. Get the fuck out of my sight. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> also true. So much. 
Uh, Janos refuses to go off to freeze and die at Greyguard. And he's like, no traitors, bastard, ordered Janos slipped around. And John's like, uh, yeah, this traitor bastard will order your bitch ass around. Janos throws a little tantrum and he leaves. And John's like, ah, he still thinks I'm a green boy. And he hopes that Janos is going to see some sense by the morning. But of course, Janos Slint does not see any sense. He's Mm-mm. sitting in the hall in the morning with Alistair Thorne. They're giggling. The house is packed, right? Everyone is there. Molly, horse, red jack horse. crab, rusty flowers, Ed, Iron Emmett, Owen the Oaf. They all accompany John downstairs, and Three-Fingered Hob is serving porridge. Black Brothers, Queensmen, Kingsmen, all of them are sitting at their tables. The air smells of smoke and grease and the sound of silverware is hanging above in the din, and the voices die. John gives Janos one chance to get to the stables for Greyguard. Slint says Greyguard would be a good place for John, that John has the mark of the beast. I just wanted to call that out. I think it's kind of weird language, right? Oh, yeah. Revelations, the whole mark of the beast thing. And I don't know if it's like George just inserting something poetic for Janos to say, like, oh, you're the devil, Jon Snow. But also, I don't know, it feels kind of sloppy. That's just my personal opinion, because it references a very specific thing, unless George is intending to mean more by it. Like, I don't know, Revelations, Beast, Dragon, Targaryen, maybe. But I think that's reading too much into it. It turns out, like, I don't know, by Janos's repetition of that same, like, phrase later. Mm-hmm. Either he means that the Mark of the Beast is talking about how Jon's a bastard, or because of his skin changing, because he says, he's just a boy, a bastard, his father was a traitor, the mark of the beast is on him, that wolf of his. So, I don't know. It's just it's weird. totally remarking on the skin changing. And I think there's a lot of that southern slander of northerners kind of thing, or that, like, this is what the south thinks the north is going on. Uh, but I also find it interesting when you talk about revelations in this manner, especially that, but there's stuff like the seals. When the seals are opened, um, think about Euron Greyjoy and where he's positioned and what he's doing. Uh, it, it makes me think of that. It makes me think of how much Westeros is about to bleed from the north, yeah. from the south, from the west, from the east. It's about to just gush blood, just like the Revelations. It's interesting. John asks if Janos is refusing the order. And Janos is like, you could shove the order up your bastard ass. And literally he says this. This really isn't just like commentary. This is, this is, he straight up is like, up your bastard arse. Uh, and Alistair smiles. He's watching John calculating him. And Slint is laughing. And Godry the Giant Slayer, that dick, he pipes in. I hate that guy, dude. Uh, John asks Iron Emmett to take Janos to the wall and that he thinks of his options. He's like, I could send him to the ice cells. See how his attitude is in 10 days. But then he thinks he would just begin to plot with Alistair Thorne once he was released. He could have him tied to his horse. He could uh, send him to Greyguard as a cook instead of a commander, really show him. But he would desert and probably take other men with him. So John says, to hang him. Yeah, Janos's spoon hits the ground. His face turns white and Bowen Marsh's mouth opens and closes wordless. And Alistair reaches for his sword, and John wishes a motherfucker would. (laughs) 
Yeah, fight me. He's like, I've been waiting <laughs> for this. Uh, John World thinks star. about, oh my God, this is World Star literally about to happen, especially with the smoke hanging in the air. It's like just like a, a smoky bar environment at this point. Uh, half the men in the hall are on their feet watching, like it's totally World Star. And John is thinking about how some of these men chose him to be Lord Commander. Others cast their stones for Bowen Marsh for Dennis Malister, Cotter Pike, some for Janos, hundreds of them for those people. And John thinks, how many of those men are in the cellar right now? And if that's not huge foreshadowing, I don't know what is, obviously. And it says, for a moment, the world balanced on a sword's edge. And it just makes me think, like, John realizes, I don't have many friends here. He sent them all away. It's like I made a mistake, a very mortal error in my calculations. So Janos begins to protest and beg. Borge is flying from his mouth, and he's calling John a bastard, which is an interesting move in this moment. He tells John he's the son of a traitor. Once again, the mark of the beast is on him, telling him he's going to rue the day he laid hands on Janos Slint, and that he's got friends in King's Landing, and he tries to make a fucking run for it. And then Iron Emmett throws him back in the iron cage... Please clap. Yes. Is that Emmett from the Not A Cast podcast? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, the Source podcast. No, he's, it's not. We are the Source podcast. Well, no, I guess I can, whatever. Fuck this joke. Fuck this joke. And at this point, all of Castle Black has come out to watch. Oh man. I'm so... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, everyone's watching. Everyone. This is like literally when you get in a fight in the lunchroom. Every single person is watching this shit. Uh, uh, Eliana. Yeah. (laughs) Val is watching from her window. Stannis is on the steps of the King's Tower watching. And this is about to be an epic passage, you two. If the boy thinks that he can frighten me, he is mistaken, they heard Lord Janos say. He would not dare to hang me. Janos Slint has friends, important friends, you'll see. The wind whipped away the rest of his words. This is wrong, John thought. Stop. Emmett turned back, frowning. My lord? I will not hang him, said John. Bring him here. Oh, seven, save us, he heard Bowen Marsh cry out, the smile that Lord Janus Slint smiled, then had all the sweetness of rancid butter. Until John said, Ed, fetch me a block, an unsheathed longclaw. By the time a suitable chopping block was found, Lord Janos had retreated into the winch cage, but Iron Emmett went in after him and dragged him out. No! Slint cried as Emmett half shoved and half pulled him across the yard. Unhand me! You cannot! When Tywin Lannister hears of this, you will all rue! Emmett kicked his legs out from under him. Dolorous Ed planted a foot on his back to keep him on his knees as Emmett shoved the block beneath his head. This will go easier if you stay still, Jon Snow promised. Move to avoid the cut and you will still die. But your dying will be uglier. Stretch out your neck, my lord. 
The pale morning sunlight ran up and down his blade as John clasped the hilt of the bastard sword with both hands and raised it high. If you have any last words, now is the time to speak them, he said, expecting one last curse. Jano Slint twisted his neck around to stare up at him. Please, my lord, mercy, I'll, I'll go, I will, I... No, thought John. You closed that door. Longclaw descended. Can I have his boots? Asked Owen the Oath as Jano Slint's head went rolling across the muddy ground. They're almost new, those boots, lined with fur. John glanced back at Stannis. For an instant, their eyes met. Then the king nodded and went back inside his tower. I freaking love that line. That's foreshadowing of Danny and my size. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Ish. Yeah, like, I, I mean, that was foreplay. We're not entirely joking, I think. <laughs> I mean, it was. <laughs> That's why I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. This is flirting? Interesting. Butterfly. Interesting. Uh, what a fucking badass uh, passage. It's so good. It's like, between this and the whole kill the boy passage, I feel like this whole chapter is such a club banger. I love it so much. It's so hard because it's like, what if we just read the chapter from start to finish and then we were like, did you guys like the chapter? Because we love the know, chapter. Right? I feel like this is like the only way to handle it sometimes. <laughs> We've been talking about this throughout the episode, about John's different choices, but I've been thinking a lot about what happens if John doesn't kill Jano Slint, like if he lets him, like if he extends mercy in the last minute, or he tells Jano that he might kill him if he doesn't do what he says, and so he takes him seriously, and all these different kind of things. Do you think that this was kind of the last straw for Janos and company, or do you think that he's gonna get murdered even if he doesn't kill Janos? Like. Is this one of those things that we were talking about, like Sam could have saved him from himself almost, or was he really making the only choice that he had, which is to be a commander? I definitely think Sam couldn't have saved him, but he could have slowed it down. He was still going to die. Like at this point, it's too late. He's made a handful of choices and he knows what he's doing, even if he's pretending not to know. He's baiting him for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting because I feel like John is put in such a lose-lose situation. Like, either he stands up for himself and does his duty and cracks down on people to get people to take him seriously, or he bends over backwards and everybody continues to take advantage of him. It's like kind of a lose-lose situation. Yeah. It's the Car Stark. It's his Car Stark situation. Yeah, it is. And we see Rob's campaign suffer with how that went and I mean there's no there's no winning none yeah I, and and like there were slightly different circumstances with Rob right like at least like some of the people kind of respected him the Karstarks did as opposed to here where it's John like how does he assert control over all these unruly people and like I don't know we as normal ass people who don't live in a penal colony don't go around killing people in order to assert that control. We have HR for that, but um, I don't know. And you asked, like, is this the last straw? 
for Alistair Thorne. I I don't know. I think this is the first for a lot of them, right? Because it's interesting that Bowen Marsh cries out, Oh, seven, save us. Because does that mean, like, in this moment, it seems like John's saying, I'm not going to hang him. And then he says, bring him here. Does Bowen Marsh know what John intends to do, having been around John long enough? Like, does the O7 save us? Is it like a, O7 save us? Like, oh, thank God. Or is, does O7 save us mean, O7 save us? I, I think know it's definitely like, about to do. It was very mocking. Like, O7 save us. Like, Hannah read it really well, in my opinion, that, that uh, he was straight up just being like, Oh, yeah. good. Like, now he's going to not kill him. Like, didn't see that coming. What a dumb bastard. Uh, make up your mind, Lord Commander. But at the same time, it's interesting that you pointed out that it's the seven that he calls out about because Slint has just been like, he's a skin yeah. changer. He's a skin changer. Mark of the B-O-7, save us. And here's John, who's probably going to live on in his wolf. Yeah. There's all of that, and also it shows their misunderstanding of what's happening in this moment as John also makes that choice, right? And we've discussed this before, that originally actually George did have John hanging Jano Slint, but per a fan suggestion after reading, changed it to him beheading Janos per per the northern tradition. So... Yeah, all of, all of the Southerners being like, oh, that means he's not going to hang him. That means he's going to live. No, it just means like, nope, John has decided he's going to exert Northern justice instead. And so there's that contract. That's John's choice. Save us. And this is the John's old way. John's choice. It's very much so framed in Ned, right? Uh, we talked a lot above about yes. Game of Thrones and Ned against John's nightmares and Ned's nightmares. And you're seeing a bunch of Ned's mistakes played out in the North at the wall, right? Giving mercy to people who might not deserve it. Uh, giving his plans away to some of the biggest schemers in Westeros is what Ned did, right? And now Alistair Thorne definitely has some some vile in him after watching this, I'm sure. Uh, and Ned chasing the wrong thing that hits so close to home, right? The seat is strong versus the baby swap. Uh, John trying to save babies and Ned chasing the seed is strong. These are things that obviously maybe weren't worth their energy. Uh, Ned pushing away all the people close to him in an attempt to save them and protect them. The kids, Cat, we saw what happened. They had to learn the hard way and some of them didn't get over it. We, we talk about how John's going to come back, but what about the people around him, right? What about Alice or Thorne? What about Sam? How does Sam come back in John's plot? How does Sam regard him? How does Alice or Thorne regard him i mean is it gonna be like the show where he kills the mutineers uh for justice or you know what how how do the people around him react to him that's what i want to hear about i think it's a really good question and i think that like it can take so many different paths like how is sam and gilly gonna react to what john did to them in this chapter and like how are sam and gilly gonna react to so we're talking about earlier, if John loses his ability to like truly love people or connect with people, how are they then going to find common ground? Like, is it going to, is the irony in all this going to be that they're going to follow him and protect him or be with him because they feel a sense of duty and they no longer, no longer feel any of that like familial friendship with him? You know, I don't know. I think, I think that's like such a really, such a really good, I think that's such a good question to to think about that I haven't thought about. 
not everyone wants to protect the realm like that. Not everyone uh, joined the wall because it was the fantasy dark knight duty that they could have. You know, it, it, yes, John didn't have a place. He couldn't stay at Winterfell, but had it been push comes to shove, Ned would have added it to his large laundry list of things to get done. And would he have finished it? Maybe not, but he might have sent him off to Starfall or found a place for him. You know, um, it's the same idea that there were other options and the easy options and the not so easy options were the ones they had to choose to protect their secrets. Hannah, you've talked about this chapter many, many moons ago, many years ago. And now that you have reread it together with us, how do you feel about it now? Great question. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you guys asked me what chapters I wanted to do. And when I was going to join you on, on your guys' show. And so I picked this chapter for a reason. Because it just is, as I said, a club banger. I feel like there's so many amazing quotable things from this chapter and I just it's one of my favorite John chapters because I think it's I think it's just such a good summary of the internal struggles that John goes through and not only dance but just all of a song a song of ice and fire and so this chapter continues to be one of my faves and it was really fun chatting about it with you guys so it might have been my favorite reread yet Aww. Oh, hi. Now I'm all soft. Now I'm like, oh, sad Not about John, happy about you, Hannah. But... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right that this has, like, basically a lot of the things that happened in John's chapters and a lot of those struggles, though, and encompasses all of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Jana and Jana Slint dies, so... You've got Gilly, you've got Sam, you've got the Eamon passage, which ties in great with the last chapter when you hear a bunch about how, you know, Eamon says, good men, you know, make bad mistakes all the time. Good rulers F things up all the time. Stannis could still mess stuff up. And then you hear him talk about Aegon and, oh, your heart's sad. And then John gets rid of all his friends. He gets rid of Eamon and you don't even get a real like this is John's visit with Eamon. You just get a memory just like Ned's chapters, right? You start in the middle of a memory and work your way back and then you come to reality and off with the head, which is the best part. Because I mean, you can't it, it, no matter how morally wrong or right it is, you can't sit there but be like, yeah, you get him. Get, you get him, Johnny boy. Time. Every time I'm getting rowdy just thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, for Ned, you do this shit for Ned. Because when that wormy ass little shit just sat there in a stupid gold cloak with a stupid new gold clasp that he got from House Lannister because they gave him money for, you know, betraying Ned. Uh, we talked about it again in third person. Yeah, he acts like he's so big. Like, how dare you kill the only patriarch that was almost good? Yeah. God. Such a weirdo. We should start doing that about ourselves. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Chloe doesn't think that we should do that. <laughs> On the uh, podcast? Oh, God. Yeah, I would actually make me fire you. God, I hope so. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'd want to fire myself. Yeah. Glad I'm glad you got to choose the banger. Yeah. You know, this is what you wanted to come in on, and you did the damn thing. You were very fun to have on, Hannah. Thank you yeah, for thank joining you. us. Thank you. Thank you for us it's again. a dream come true. Oh, it really is. Please tell everyone where we can find you on the internet doing things. Um, you can find me at Game of Owns on Twitter, on Instagram, 
not really on Facebook because I don't really use Facebook. You can try to search my personal handles, but I don't tweet almost at all. So good luck if you want to like scroll back <laughs> to 2008. That's on you. Um, oh and then you can also find Zach and I have a new podcast too that you can find us on Instagram called It Really Makes You Think. So lots of hashtag content coming at you from me. Hell yeah. Tell us about tell us about It Really Makes You Think. It Really Makes You Think is a show where we talk about nothing. So it's kind of just... We were talking about this a little bit before we started recording uh, with everything else that you guys are doing on Girls Gone Canada side of A Song of Ice and Fire. It's just an opportunity to kind of talk and hang and get outside of the ice and fire-ness, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, that you can kind of feel like you get stuck in a rut a little bit and not necessarily in a bad way, but... We just wanted to try something different, so Keep the it really moving. makes you think. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. It really does make you think. <laughs> Truly, you've given so. us so much to think about. Wow. Yeah, I know, I know. So, but seriously, you guys, I love what you do. I love both of you oh my God. as human beings, oh. and so I'm really glad that you guys invited me to be oh, on here Hannah, today. We love you. You're the best. We love you too. <laughs> Thank you again. Yes. <laughs> This was a long time in the making, yes. as we said. So thank you so Seriously. much for joining. And yeah, um, it's always fun. As you know, you can find us also on social media. Find us on Twitter at Girls Gone Canon. Or maybe you would like to also ask us about one of our favorite sports teams. Oh my god. You can shoot us an email <laughs> at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to us to find out Right the moment podcasts get uploaded, get them push notifications. You can find us on Podbean, on Google Play, on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Overcast, on Acast. I'm sure I'm leaving something off, but we're there too. Yeah, probably. And of course, you can also find us on Patreon. We have content there, and for patrons who are $5 and up, we just released our September Patreon episode about forgotten characters in the winds of winter as suggested by patron shadow fox yes it was a fun time and we talk a lot about characters not strong bellwas and not hr i'm not allowed to say his name so i just won't say it who exactly as always i have been <laughs> your hosts chloe oh i just you just got it yeah, because they weren't they weren't forgotten. All right, and I'm Eliana, another one of your hosts. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>